Hey guys, it's Kylie and Athena here. We wanted to talk to you about the quality of the original version of Cassie Joe's daughter. We felt really bad and we did want to fix it for you guys because it was riddled with just too many technical difficulties and a lot of sound problems. Yeah, it was fucked. <laughs> so here we are round, well, two to you, about four to us. <laughs> We're just going to try and give you the best quality we possibly can. Here we go again with the Cassie Joe Stoddard case. The idea of snuggling up with your high school sweetheart and watching movies while house-sitting all alone sounds like a dream come true, right? Well, what happens when that all goes wrong and someone is in the house with you? So in the last episode, we covered the Gainesville Ripper, which was what inspired the movie Scream. Kylie, you still haven't watched Scream, and I even gave you another week. <laughs> I think it's been two weeks, actually. It's been like a month. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Still haven't seen it. I should, I really, maybe we should do that this weekend. <laughs> At this point, I feel like you already know the entire movie, though. I feel like I do, too. <laughs> well... Maybe we'll have a screamathon this weekend, like in the movies how they have stabathons. We'll have a screamathon. You don't get that joke because no. you haven't seen it. No. <laughs> well, today, as you guys all know, we are redoing Cassie Joe's daughter, which, if you remember, it's about some dumb teenage boys who thought they had the right to murder a beautiful young girl who had every right to live. Let's get ready. In 2006, two Idaho teens murdered their 16-year-old friend, claiming the movie Scream had inspired them. At the trial, the killers had said that the popular 1996 cult horror slasher flick had cemented their ideas to kill someone. On December 21, 1989, Cassie Jo Stoddart was born in Pocatello, Idaho. There's not a ton of information on her early life, and I do believe that has to do with the fact that she was so young her family tried to keep it a little bit more private just to protect her as a person but she was described as your typical 16-year-old girl who was known to her family and friends as someone who was very responsible, a straight-A student, and just an overall good person. She was a junior at her school, which was the Pocatello High School. Her brother said she was headstrong, kind, and he saw Cassie as his role model. They were about a year apart in age, and he thought the world of her. She was very into art, music, and acting, and she was really pretty, had the prettiest hair ever. And she was just a really well-rounded person. She had a lot of it going for her. And she was just overall awesome. She had a boyfriend of five months named Matt Beckham, who was crazy about her. And he is kind of a part of the story because they do turn to him a little bit, thinking he could have potentially been part of the scenario that ends up happening to Cassie. But he was not one of the killers. He sadly was just friends with the killers. And he almost fell victim to them as well. Let's discuss the killers. The two killers were both high school juniors at the same school with her. Their names were Brian Draper and Tori Adamchik. Brian Draper was adopted. He had a fairly normal childhood, though. He did have a crush on Cassie in the past, but seeing as how him and Matt were really close friends, he never acted upon it. Tori as well had a crush on Cassie, but he kept it a lot more of a secret and it didn't come out until later. Cassie had never reciprocated feelings with either male, only her boyfriend, Matt. And so they just decided to give up on that. 
Brian was said that he felt like an outcast or like a loner, and his closest friend was pretty much just Tori. Tori and Brian were both very into films, and they called themselves cinephiles, which reminds me of Scream 4, Charlie and Ravi. I brought that up last time. Still reminds me of it. I watched it again the other day. They got the Charlie and Robbie vibes. Yeah, but your note says, but like bad guy version. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> they're bad. Well, I didn't want to spoil the movie for you. One of, uh, no, I'm not going to say nope, anything. Nope, 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 nope. But also, what the fuck is a cinephile? <laughs> that is a, oh. the weirdest term. I've never heard of it. Cinephile is someone who is um, not obsessed, but borderline. Their hobby is just movies in general. Any type of style, any type of any, any, hmm. th- th- it's someone that's very passionate about watching movies. Corey. <laughs> Corey right. is a cinephile. <laughs> we both knew exactly where that was going. <laughs> that's funny. The other night, Corey's like, do you guys want to watch a movie? And we're like, yeah. He pulled out one or two movies. We decided on the second movie he pulled out. He then spent the next 40 minutes pulling out more movies, <laughs> asking every single movie, explaining the plot lines, everything. Telling us all of the directors. And Kylie and I were just like, <laughs> we already picked the movie. So like The second movie you said. <laughs> He's like, we could watch more than one, you guys. We're like, no. no. <laughs> Brian had one thing that should have been a really red flag to everyone. He had a very intense admiration towards Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold from the Columbine murders. But the thing is, is these people are definitely people you should never think of as a hero, which he did. He kind of thought of them as like almost a better version of himself. He's like, I'm an outcast. They're outcast. They stood up for outcasts. Like he felt really validated in how they went about solving the fact that they're an outcast. Why couldn't his role model be like, I don't know, like Hercules. He was an outcast. Or like, you know, who else? Name one other outcast. I'm trying. <laughs> Just one. Cinderella. Okay. Mm. Little Mermaid. Ooh. Oh, everybody is. I mean, Disney. So Disney. Disney, Disney goes there. Why couldn't he have been a Disney character is what you're asking. Yeah, exactly. He said West Craven schooler. Okay, but... <laughs> Now, the concept of teens murdering other teens isn't uncommon. There are lots of motives for it, and there's lots of cases. The turning on the friend cases, like Skylar Niece, jealousy cases, like Seth Jackson or Shanda Shearer, potential mental illness cases, like the Slenderman murders. But for Tori and Adam, they really just killed Cassie to gain infamy and notoriety. They really had it in their heads that they were going to be among the greats. And things like that, meaning that like they thought they were going to be these infamous serial killers and they genuinely looked up to these people. But like. You go to jail, (laughs) you go to prison when you kill someone, they didn't think they would. They're like, we're they're going to get they're going to get away with it. Yeah, they they were above the law. Okay. They later claim that they're trying to recreate horror classics to gain this fame. It's a pretty fucked up concept because they're trying to ruin Scream and I alone will bully them for all of time just for that. Don't ever ruin my favorite movie. But this led to Brian and Tori thinking the best way to gain their infamy was to, in fact, murder someone. Brian wanted to go about it in the Columbine way with a mass murdering. But Tori said it would be smarter to go about it in a methodical way to murder someone like mm, Scream. 
because Tori saw himself as a very Billy Loomis type person. So Tori wanted to go as far as to being theatrical, dressing up, filming it, and just adding all that extra layer of fear to the victims by having it be so intense and theatrical. The boys did film themselves daily, so it wasn't like super weird for them to start filming things around the time of the murder because they actually did that all the time. They would film other students and they would just do interviews and things like that about their daily lives. There are clips online where you can find the boys filming part of the plan and footage of them discussing before and after the murder. A lot of it's on YouTube. Tori and Brian were also known for planning a horror film and potentially writing a script for it. While in study hall leading up to the events, there was an there was a time where they had started recording themselves talking about the future planning of these murders. But if someone would like question them, they'd be like, oh, no, we're working on the script, you know, and that would be kind of like almost an alibi, which is really smart. It's not dumb. Yeah, it's, it makes I, sense. I which, hate to compliment. these yeah, idiots. Yeah, but it's brilliant. Yeah. There's another case. Um, oh, we'll do a new trivia for this one. <laughs> oh, lovely. What other case did a guy? I'll actually give you full details. He killed his friend. For some money, he thought it was going to be a lot more money. It ended up being, I think, only $10,000. And he threw her body over a bridge. And what happened was he had gotten in a car with a friend wearing a wire. And the friend was like, so tell me what happened. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I it's all a movie I'm making. It's a movie. Name that case. I have no idea. The murder of Sarah Stern. Okay, well, now we have to cover it because I'm interested. <laughs> I just have the most useless knowledge in life. I don't know where it all is. Like, where, I don't know. Where do you keep all of this information? <laughs> I have no idea anymore. It was late in 2006. I'm a, nah, I'm sorry. I forgot how to read for a moment. <laughs> it was late in August of 2006 when Tori had asked another kid from their school named Joe Lazario who was 18 years old, to buy them weapons at a local pawn shop because in the state of Idaho, you have to be 18. Many kids knew Tori had a knife collection, so it wasn't super out of the norm for him to ask someone to buy him a knife or something like that, especially since Brian and Tori were only 16. They would have had to ask someone, so Joe was like, that makes sense. Brian ended up taking $40 out of an ATM, which he gave to Joe. The three boys then went to a pawn shop, and Joe bought them four knives. It's a lot of knives for $40. I actually was thinking of saying that, but I, I don't know the going rate of knives. Now yeah, that me I think either. I know it. absolutely nothing, but I feel like they're not each $10. Well, I don't know. My pocket knife was like 12 to 15 I want to say, for a decent one. Okay, you still couldn't get four of them for 40 bucks. Well, yeah. Wait, so are we saying that was cheap or that was expensive? I don't understand what we're complaining about. Because I think it's we just cheap. went both ways. No, it's cheap. Oh, yeah, that was cheap. Must have had a good sale. <laughs> yeah, four for 40 bucks. <laughs> sale on knives at the pawn shop. <laughs> Let's go back to the night of the murders. The two boys had filmed everything, like I said. So in 2017, the Supreme Court had released transcripts of the videos, the trials, and like I said, most can be found online. The boys didn't plan to just murder Cassie, though. They actually tried eight times to previously kill people. So they failed. <laughs> they were really bad at it. <laughs> like, you're really bad at this. Maybe you shouldn't do it. Just stick to script writing, boys. <laughs> they kept running into complications like issues of whether or not the people would be home. 
which is kind of a you know deal breaker if you want to you know murder them (laughs) or like issues of other people being home and they wouldn't be able to take down all of them none of these cases did it say they had like a violent animal or like um cameras or anything like that like that'd be my biggest fear trying to break into someone's house does no one have guard dogs in idaho (laughs) (laughs) guard dogs On September 21st, 2006, they went to one of the almost victim's house, and there is recordings of it. In almost every recording, Brian is filming from the passenger seat as Tori is driving his 1994 Geo, which I still forgot to Google what that looks like. I wanted to know. It just sounds like a very aerodynamic vehicle. It's kind of... (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking of the Batmobile, but in green. (laughs) I don't think that's what it is. No, it's more like a Honda, really. Oh. I mean, I was giving these boys much more credit. Yeah. That's how they had the setup for most of the videos, actually, except for the few videos where they're in school and like study hall and stuff. We have to we have to look at this because like it's it's not a cool car at all. Oh, that's a hideous car. Yeah. Like a Honda Civic is hotter than this car. Yee, Columba. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to try to go through all the parts of the transcripts, just some certain parts that really give you an idea of who Brian and Tori are. So I'm going to go through and read some of these and I'll say who I am before I read things. On September 21st, 2006 at 8.05 PM, the day before the murder, Brian said, we're going for a high death count, Tori. Plus we're not going to get caught, Brian. If we're going for the guns, we're just going to end it. We're going to go for the guns and kill everybody and leave. Brian, we're going to make history. We are going to make history. Tori, for all you FBI agents watching this, <laughs> well, uh, you weren't quick enough. Brian, yeah, you weren't quick enough and you weren't smart enough. And so we're going to go over to redacted Jane Doe number one's house and we're gonna snoop over there and and see if if she's home or not and if not splat she's dead tori don't you put your humor into this brian brian i'm not putting humor into it people die memories fade tori memories fade i wonder where you got that from brian what movie brian um myself that was that that was for myself tori don't wonder it was lame. I feel like Tori's first part, I was like, I didn't realize this before, like where he says, um, like if we're going for the guns, we're just going to end it. That feels very like Columbine. It, it really, it almost sounds like they don't have a solution out of this if something bad does go wrong. Right. But Tori is the logical one here and Brian's the, the, the crackhead of the group, I feel like, if, if I can use that term here. And it presents itself time and time again. Like, I feel like Tori is just annoyed with Brian, but he needs the help of Brian. But it's one of those situations where he's like, oh, my God, I'm the brain and you're pinky. Like, just follow what I'm trying to tell you to do, you dumbass. I love pinky and the brain. Like, that's the only way I can think of no, these but it's two. So, I mean, I don't think... Tori is smart enough to be the brain, but still he's not logical, but he's not stupid. Right. He's he's methodical. Like it's an evil genius, but not like a 
actual genius. He's only evil thoughts. And they bicker. They bicker like school children, even in those cases or like in these scenarios. So the next one is from only a few minutes later and you can just continuously hear them arguing in the car. Tori goes, the point I'm making is we're all taught that things like killing people and other things is wrong. The only thing that's wrong about it is it's it's breaking the law and the laws. The law is only wrong. Brian, natural selection, dude, natural selection. That's all I got to say. Tori, there should be no law against killing people. I know it's wrong, but Brian, natural selection. Tori, hell, you restrict someone from someone from it. They're just going to want it more. Brian, exactly. Goodbye, camera. Brian is a golden retriever. <laughs> he's like, I just feel like he's like a, a super dude. Yeah. It doesn't help the voice I'm using for him, but oh. they both sound like dweebs when you listen to him in real life. Yeah. But I mean, you're going to hear him in some of the other clips, but I just, Brian's just repeating natural selection, dude, natural selection. First off, this isn't natural selection. You're killing people. And secondly, you don't have an original thought here. The only reason I feel like he keeps repeating natural selection is because one of the Columbine kids wore a T-shirt that said natural selection on it. (laughs) You are literally so stupid. Well, and he probably thought it sounded really cool. Yeah, he thinks he sounds like natural, natural born killers. That movie probably or like something he's like, you know, or like. I imagine in the opening scene of Kill Bill, this is what they would say. And I'm like, oh my God, you're this cringe. This is what they would say. At 8.15, there was a later recording where the boys argued about directions, and that's when they start stalking Cassie and Matt. They make a comment that they're willing to kill anyone in their path, including Matt. That was the night before the murder, and they talk about how they assume the murder will go and the reactions Matt and Cassie would have later in the events. The following recording is from September 21st, 2006 at 8.36 p.m., the day before the murder. So you can literally tell that Tori is just a creep. He literally says, I'm horny just thinking about it. Like, that's that's messed up. There's no other way to describe that. Yeah, nope, I don't like it at all. It makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable anytime I hear that. So there's a lot more to that recording, but I'm just going to kind of summarize different parts of it. Later, they start getting on a tangent about like evil versus God and how evil is of origin and a follower of Satan. And then Satan's not real. And then whether you're good or bad and then people aren't bad, they're just evil. It It just keeps going bad. And then. Tori starts doing his repeating thing and he just keeps saying, that sounds good, baby. That sounds good, baby. Um, That's when they start making comments that they're going to be like scream, except real life terms version is what they say. But then they have a very interesting part of the conversation, which I am going to read to you. Brian goes, we're going to be murders like like uh, let's see, like 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 Ted Bundy, like the Hillside Strangler. Tori says, no. Brian, the Zodiac killer, Tori, those people were amateurs compared to what we're going to be. 
we're going to be of a higher source. Like, like a, a glee, glee, Brian, Gein, Tori. Yeah. Gein, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's say we're that sick and twisted. Tori, you, you, you know what Ed Gein's words were? He, uh, he, he, he saw a girl walking down the street, right? Two questions came to his head. Could I, could I take her out and have a nice time with her? Brian interjects. And then kill her? Skin her alive? Tori. No, charm, charm the pants off her. Or, or no, no, I wonder what her head would look like on a stick. And then they both like laugh and Brian ends it by saying murder is power. Murder is freedom. Goodbye. I have a lot of feelings about that. For anyone that's interested in true crime, let's dissect. Let's dissect this clip. All right. I feel like a school professor all of a sudden. I have my whiteboard out and everything. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so they say we're going to be great like Ted Bundy. Okay, I am approaching this with with caution. Please note, when I say a great serial killer, I am in no way glorifying serial killers. I mean the means of how they are looking at it in terms of greatness. I am not glorifying serial killers. So moving ahead, Ted Bundy. Yes, a great serial killer because he did do his accomplishment. He wanted to murder mass amounts and inflict pain upon these people and necessarily get away with it, which he did for quite some time. He did get caught, but overall he is very infamous and everyone knows who Ted Bundy is. If you say Ted Bundy, people, people know he's famous. Hillside Strangler. Same thing. Little, little less because people don't know his real name. People know the nickname. I feel like things with like Night Stalker, things like that. When people know a nickname, it doesn't get the 100% satisfaction that the actual killer is trying to invoke. They kind of are proud the fact they have a nickname, but also kind of upset that it's not them. If that uh, makes I think sense. it depends on who that is, though. Well, you're right. BTK and Zodiac, people that gave them, well, Z- Zodiac didn't, but people that gave themselves nicknames mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Those people don't like it, but people that get nicknames that deserve it. Well, okay, not deserve it. You know what I'm meaning. Yes. (laughs) So then they say the Zodiac Killer. Again, a very interesting concept killer because remember, there's only five confirmed victims, but they say the number could be anywhere from 20 to 37. And there were the two injured people also that ended up living in things. Don't ask me how I know all that. (laughs) I saw your eyes get really big. I just know that. I was wearing that Zodiac shirt the other day. That's why. So someone asked me facts about Zodiac and I looked it up and then it stuck with me. So again, he was necessarily never caught unless the 2018 person that passed away was him. Technically a great serial killer. And then that's when this whole conversation takes a a turning point. First off, he calls him Ed Glee. Okay. Then they fix it to Ed Gein. And then they say that Ed Gein is a great one. I am not degrading him, but wasn't he mentally ill? And didn't he have a crush on his own mother? Yes. And didn't a lot of mom issues there. Didn't he like openly state when they were like, where's the bartender? He's like hanging up in my barn. <laughs> right. <Something laughs> like, like he's like, she's at my house. I killed her. And right. people were just like, oh, let's just Ed be an Ed. Right. <laughs> but that's not even the most disrespectful part of this whole thing. The most disrespectful part is the quote. Ugh, the fucking quote. So the quote is, I 
see a woman walking down the street and two questions come to mind. Could I take her out or what would her head look like on a stick? That was Egg Kemper, you dumb fools. I actually knew that. <laughs> it was fucking Egg Kemper, you asshats. <laughs> well, and like charm the pants off. Like Ed Gein couldn't charm the pants off of anyone. Anyone. <laughs> anyone. Ugh. Hi, Tori Adam. Tor- Tori Adam chick, Brian Draper. I'm I got bones to pick with you. All right, moving on. I'm sorry I took a tangent. We had to go there. <laughs> on September 22nd, 2006, at 8.28 a.m., the morning of the murder, there was a video of Brian walking down the halls at school talking to someone that was with him. It was not Tori, though, because he does ask where Tori is. Cassie was standing by her locker, and he stops to chat with her. Cassie doesn't seem to pay a ton of attention to it. He says, you know, like, Cassie, say hi to the camera. She, she, you know, is like, hi, camera. And then he's like, do you know where Tori is? He's late, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, I haven't seen him. But you could tell, like, she's civil. She's nice. She's polite with these people. Well, she's probably also um, really used to having the camera on her face. Like, it seems like the camera is part of them. So. And since they hang out with Matt and stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she's probably super used to the camera and it's not anything like, you know. Why are you filming me? You know, yeah, it's, it's it's a normal. Just normal. Yeah. September 22nd to 26. We're skipping the next fourth hour. We're not even applying right now. I'm telling Cassie's family, but she had to number one. We have to stick with the plan. And she's perfect, so she's going to die. <laughs> They're talking about how they're skipping their fourth hour class and they talk about the date. They talk about how the teacher keeps looking over at them. And then they're talking about other people in the classroom, things like that. Then it turns a really aggressive way. They are like, if you're watching this, we might be deceased, but we at least got our first kill done for all you future serial killers watching this tape. Good luck with that. Hopefully you don't have eight or nine failures like we do. Hell, we may have tried 10 times, but they've never been home alone. Or when they do, their parents show up. And then Brian looks into the camera and he says, as long as you're patient, you know, and we've been patient. So we're getting paid off because our victim's home alone. We got our plan all worked out now. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry, Cassie's family, but she has to be the one. We have to stick to the plan. And she's perfect, so she's going to die. And that's the end of the clip. Again, though, if other students were seeing this or hearing things, they'd be like, "Um, why do you guys keep talking about people dying? They'd be like, it's for our script. Like, chill, we're writing a script. We're teenagers. What do you think? There is a really sad story that goes along here. At one point, Cassie did hear them that week, the same week as her murder, talking about their film. And she was like, oh, can I be in your film? Like, can I be in your scary movie? And they both kind of like were like, oh, yeah, Cassie, we'll make room for you in our in our film and joked around with her. Well, she wanted to be like an actor, right? Like she liked acting. So she was just well rounded. They didn't say necessarily, but she wanted to do something big with her life. Okay. So Cassie was house sitting during the day and time of the murder. She was house sitting for her aunt and uncle, Allison and Frank Contreras, in their home of Whispering Cliffs Drive. 
I love it. It's so freaking pretty. I need to look it up. I did look it up. I took a little Google Maps tour because I wanted to see the house and <laughs> yeah. I walked around the whole block and everything. That's funny. There was a dog at some point like outside. You can see in one of the pictures. And I was like, oh, I want to live there. Donkey. She was trying to save up to buy a new car because she wanted to be independent and buy it for herself. So anytime she was offered to babysit or do anything for her family, she would always take them up on the offer. She had asked her aunt and uncle if her boyfriend, Matt, could come over and watch movies and hang out. And since she was only supposed to be watching the three cats and two dogs while in the home, her family was like, "Okay, yeah, you're a good kid. We trust you. You can have your boyfriend over. So around 630 p.m., Tori and Brian also showed up to hang out with Matt because Matt did have plans to hang out with Tori later in the evening after he left Cassie's. I guess he was just going to like call Tori up and be like, hey, I'm leaving. You want to hang out now? But instead, they just showed up and this ticked Cassie off. But she's nice, so she didn't let it bother her. Brian and Tori started asking if friends could come over and attempted to start a party. A la Scream, the first one, when they have a party. And you asked me in the Gainesville Ripper episode what Stu's girlfriend's name is. It's Tatum. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All of that to tell you her name was Tatum. <laughs> so there's that. Well, they have a party and scream and the boys wanted to do the same concept, have this party and kill Cassie potentially during the party. However, Cassie was like, um, what the hell? We're not having a party. I'm literally supposed to be watching this house. I'm not even supposed to have you guys over. Hell no. But I rented Kill Bill. It just came out. Why don't we all sit down and watch a movie? Like, I'll be nice. You guys can still hang here. Let's all watch a movie. So the boys decide, okay, sure, that's fine. Brian says he has to get up to go to the bathroom during the movie. At this point, he actually went and unlocked the basement door that led to like the patio outside so that they could later get back into the house. During the movie, Tori and Brian kept complaining about being bored, so they said they're going to leave to go to the movies. I still don't understand that lie. (laughs) Like, it doesn't make any sense. Right. I'm going to leave watching this movie for free for free and go to another movie to pay right and in a place where literally they would like probably have video cameras or Mm -hmm. i don't know tickets things like that right the two acted as though they left but instead they ended up just driving down the street where they changed into their murder attire (laughs) so theatrical (laughs) they really are they're so over the top They were wearing almost all black with black converse and a horrific mask. One was wearing black boots. One was wearing a black Calvin Klein shirt. And these masks they were wearing are just horrific. I hate them. They they make me so uncomfortable. It looks like bleeding from the eyes and from the mouth, but it's like a stark white, like no face type mask. It's on the Instagram. Also, they dug them up. You'll find they later get buried. But you can tell they're terrifying. As they drove back to the house and parked, that's when they started filming another video. In this video and the video after the murder are the most famous clips of the boys, and they're very easy to find. They're so chilling to watch them when you understand the concept of what happened in this case. So the video is from September 22nd, 2006 at 9.53 p.m. while they're parked just outside before the murder. Here it is. There should be no law against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but 
Hell, hell. You restrict somebody from it, they're gonna want it more. We found our victim, and Saz may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie's daughter. She's gonna be alone in a big, dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I, I mean, like, holy shit, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. Hell yeah. I was 9.50. September 22nd, 2006. We know there's lots of doors. There, there's lots of places to hide. I locked the back doors. That's all locked. Now we just gotta wait. So at this point, it was only 15 minutes after Brian and Tori had left Cassie's and Matt's. The thing is, is these two had snuck into the basement and that's when they started deciding like, all right, let's go through with the plan. Like, that's when they got ballsy enough. They started making noise to try to scare Cassie and Matt. They were throwing furniture and breaking things and stomping around. Their plan was like, oh, you know, Matt will come down and check what the noise is. We'll kill him and then we'll go kill Cassie. Okay, no, that's how movies work. Not real life. Yeah, if I hear something. Nope, I'm out. Kylie. (laughs) Kylie and I had a really terrifying experience once. (laughs) Should we tell them? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So this one time Kylie and I were like recording and like talking and stuff. And we were up in the studio and we closed the door of the studio. Well, Corey ended up going to bed and um, Kylie and I were like, okay, you know, we'll just finish up and then we'll, I'll leave. We finish (laughs) up. Kylie opens the door to the room and she's like, oh my God, it's so cold. Why is it so cold? We're getting my stuff together. We're getting ready. And then we turn around and her front door is wide open (laughs) at like midnight. I think it was a really late night too. Yeah, it was, it was, it was was after midnight (laughs) and her front door is just wide open. And we're like, oh, so we're going to be on someone's true crime podcast now to get murdered. Great. (laughs) But really what happened was the UPS guy dropped off a package and he must have like knocked at the door and it accidentally swung the door open because we forgot to close it all the way. Yeah. Turns out we're just dummies. But it was also really scary. Do you want to tell them how your friend texted you the next day about? My friend texted me the very next day and was like, I had a dream you got abducted while leaving someone's house. And I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> it's not okay. It's not okay. <sighs> so yeah, so we've had our own trauma, trauma for the week. <laughs> So we can we could feel Cassie being scared. Yeah. Sorry for that. Sorry for that. Huge big blur, but you guys need to know how ridiculous our lives are. <laughs> also how scared also I was. Scared like, like we were terrified. I don't remember which one we were recording, but it just like fit really well. And that's what made it. I think we were recording Cassie Joe the first time. I feel like we were. We I don't know. I don't know. It was was bad, though. It was was scary. I didn't like it. Okay. Back to the main main point. (laughs) So Cassie and Matt were extremely nervous due to the noise, and they said the dogs started barking at the basement door a lot. However, they were like, okay, we're we're overthinking this. We're in an unusual house. It's not our own. It's nothing. You know, let's ignore the strange occurrence, and we'll focus on the movie. I don't know how you could do that at that point. Well, this made Brian and Tori very mad because their slasher film fantasy 
wasn't working out how they wanted. So they cut the power. The power box was in the basement. So they thought this would get someone to come downstairs to like check on the power box. Am I the only one that when their power goes out, it scares the living piss out of me? Because like, if it's during a storm or something and the power just clicks off, like power makes noise all the time. So you're always hearing it. So when it's gone, it's so creepy, super silent, but it's also like, pew. You know, like there's mm-hmm. a, it sounds like life is powering. Like, it scares, it will wake me up in the dead of the night. Like every time I'll be like, nope, and I won't be able to go back to sleep at all. Well, and at this point they couldn't be watching their movie anymore. So they're just like sitting on the couch in silence being like, I'm fucking terrified. Right. Like I'm not going down there. Are you going down there? Nope. I'm not going down there. All right. We'll just stay right here. And like, she's the man where they're on the beds and there's the tarantula. And she's like, get it. You're the man. I mean, the, the, the bigger man. That's Cassie and Matt. She's like, Matt, go. You're the man. Well, Matt and Cassie was like, no, we cannot leave this couch. Uh, we don't know where everything in this house is. We're going to be bumbling around. We're going to fumble. It's better to not chance it. And then some of the lights came on. Not all. Do we know which ones? No. I assume they probably turned on what they could find closest to the rooms they're in if mm-hmm. they were labeled. But who knows? Yeah. Like only the kitchen or. Yeah. Like something if it's something's labeled like main floor or something. Yeah. At this point, Cassie was super nervous and the dogs were adamant at this point barking at the basement. Matt called his parents to be like, hey, you know, this is what's happening. So he asked if he could stay the night to reassure Cassie. But his parents were like, no, you're just trying to stay the night with your girlfriend. We're not dumb. It's not that they didn't believe him. They just were like, we were young and 16 once, too. So they were like, instead, we're actually going to come pick you up right now because you tried to pull this little stunt of staying the night with your girlfriend. When... His parents got there. He asked again if he could stay. He was like, please, you know, Cassie's feeling really nervous. But his mom was adamant about saying no. She did offer Cassie to let them come stay at her house and that she would return her in the morning. But Cassie politely declined because she said that she did make a promise to house sit. So she needed to stay. You couldn't pay me to stay in that house. It's so sad when you know what happened because you're like, girl. Just book leave. it just, just run. leave get out i'm of the there. first person that's like i'm leaving something sketch no. oh yeah no me too i'm the biggest pussy <laughs> oh i know you are <laughs> like nope goodbye after matt left he called tori to tell him that he was on his way home from cassie's and that he couldn't hang out but remember he had no idea tori was actually in the house waiting to kill cassie so he pretty much gave him the green light being like hey cassie's alone now go murder her but he had no idea. I really want to know what happened in between the time frame of them turning the other lights back on and then um, Matt's mom coming to get him. Did they just turn on all the lights and chill and stop making noise? Right. Why didn't they have the mom come in and like check with them or something even? Right. <sighs> I know. There's so many like what? what yeah. Well, and the first time we recorded this, you actually asked a really important question. You had asked, how did Cassie not hear them on the phone in the basement? Oh, yeah. Um, but she 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 did. She thought she heard someone. And oh. she was like, no, it's just my movie. It's just my movie. 
And the boys were whispering on the phone. Tori was whispering to Matt and he's like, you know, I'm in the movies. I'm in the movies. I oh, can't yeah. Because they were I'm in at the movie theater. Uh, gotta go. Dumb. So. Tori and Brian then cut the lights again. Cassie still didn't go to the basement. A well, I bitch. wouldn't either. But, you know. <laughs> the two then stomped up the staircase aggressively, making as much noise as possible. And there they find Cassie upstairs. Brian was armed with a dagger style weapon and Tori had a hunting knife in his hands. They both had their masks on. Brian slammed the door open at the top of the staircase, attacking Cassie in the living room where Tori began stabbing her. They stabbed her approximately 30 times with the two knives. An autopsy later showed approximately 12 of the stab wounds were fatal, 11 of which came from one knife with the serrated blade and one fatal wound with the non-serrated blade, a.k.a. Brian's blade. So Tori did most of the stabbing. This part scares the shit out of me. Like, thinking, I don't know why. I don't know. Remember, I'm the biggest pussy, so I don't even, I don't even watch horror movies. Like, I can't do it. But, like, literally just knowing that something is going to come after you, you have no idea what it is. And then you realize that there's two people in your home that you're you felt like, you know, could be safe in. And then all of a sudden, like. You know, you get stabbed like that's why that's terrifying. The movie The Strangers is not that crazy. It's not that intense, but it is terrifying because it's literally a real life home invasion. Like it, it could happen to literally anyone. It's these people are at their vacation home. And three people break in and just start stalking them and torturing them throughout the night. And that's the whole concept of the movie. And they have like bags over their head. Well, one has a bag, one has a mask and one has another mask. And that's what it is. It's a home invasion. Corey and I really want to see that movie. We haven't been able to find it. And then we found it at Walmart and then we didn't actually end up getting it. I was really upset. That's a whole nother story for another day. You have it. Okay. Okay. Date night. (laughs) Forensic pathologist Dr. Charles Garrison later testified that most of the fatal wounds struck the right ventricle of Cassie's heart. So she would have pretty much died from the first few, which I'm not super sad about because. Oh, I that is the blessing in disguise. I hope the first one was just like done. I hope she she felt the least amount of pain and it was just done. Yeah. I hope she also didn't get a look at them. I hope she only like in one scenario, like she I hope she know. only saw the mask, mm-hmm. but also the mask is so terrifying. But I feel like it would hurt her more to know it's someone. And I feel like in her mind, she could potentially almost like be like, did Matt have something to do with this? Because he knows them. He's friends with them. They were all mm-hmm. here tonight. So I hope she didn't even see the boys. Well, it could have still been dark. True. The boys left her body to bleed out on the floor and left the crime scene a mess and drove off recording another video. The transcript of this tape was read aloud in court in front of her family. It was from September 22nd, 2006, 11.31 p.m., just after the murder. I just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I'm I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, oh I just God. killed Cassie. Oh, fuck. That felt like putting it real. Uh, I mean, it went by so fast. Shut the fuck up. We gotta get our act straight. Okay. 
They then go back to Tori's house and pack up their outfits, tapes, knives, masks, and any evidence they could think of having. They tried to use gasoline to burn everything, but then they decided to partially bury it in Black Rock Canyon. They had put all the stuff in a bag, and I'm going to try to summarize what was found in the bag. Stick matches, a pair of black boots, a pair of black Converse, some tactical gloves with the fingers cut off. What is the point in that? Because your fingerprints are everywhere, dumbasses. <laughs> Hydrogen peroxide bottle, the two masks, a black cord, which I was wondering what is that for? A black Calvin Klein dress shirt, an assortment of knives ranging anywhere from four to nine knives, a Sony video camera, and a VHS tape with the following things on it that we had talked about. I also love how um, in the recording, Tori is all of a sudden super, like, super serious. His demeanor. Completely changes. From even all the other clips into that, Mm -hmm. he got his shit together. Which, 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 which. (laughs) I have a story at the end for you. Okay. (laughs) I got really excited for that. I sang it. Wow. On Sunday, September 24th, 2006, a.k.a. two days later, the Contreras family returned. They found Cassie's body in the home. Their 13-year-old cousin was the first person to find the body in the living room in a pool of her own blood. They called the police at 1.55 p.m., not long after they had found her body. I'm so sad. Like, that's another thing is completely ruined. Yeah. Police noticed the house was not broken into, nothing was stolen, so they instantly thought the boyfriend had to have been to blame since he was the last person to see Cassie alive. During the investigations, authorities had the family stay in a hotel to try to make sure they did not disturb the scene. They brought Matt in the same day as he had mentioned he had tried to reach Cassie all weekend, but she hadn't been answering him. He said he was hanging out the previous night with his friend Tori, the little hoary. <laughs> I got mad at him. <laughs> he couldn't be a whore. He's not cute enough. No. He said his friend Tori had picked him up Saturday night around 8 p.m. and he stayed the night with him because he couldn't get a hold of his girlfriend. He said he did ask Tori to take him to the house to check on Cassie since he hadn't gotten a hold of her. But Tori said he couldn't because he didn't have gas. I don't understand why this whole thing happens. Like, why does Matt say that when he was clearly with his mother and like no no no. this was the next night so friday night was the murder okay saturday night he really did have the sleepover with tori sunday was when she was found oh yeah she she was her body was there for yeah which okay maybe tori didn't have the gas to do this but you know what tori did have the audacity (laughs) (laughs) What? She had audacity. Because <laughs> how are you going to hang out with Matt? The ne- you little prick. Yeah. That's so heartless. Yeah. Once Cassie's body was found, he, Matt was actually found out like about the whole situation because Cassie's mom called him to ask him if he was involved. And apparently this was like a really emotional phone call. Like she didn't beat her on the bus. She's just like, Cassie's dead. Do you have something to do with it? Like. Oh, what? And Matt, Matt, yeah, Matt, Matt just loved her. Right. 
what is Matt doing with his lives these days? I need to know. I need to send him an edible arrangement. <laughs> right? The police got really nervous that Matt could have been involved because of his demeanor. He was apparently very calm for finding out his girlfriend had just died. To be honest, everything I've heard, it sounds like he was more in shock and didn't know how to cope with the fact that he, as a teenager, was told that his girlfriend, who he had just seen 24 hours before, was just murdered. Because, you know, when you're in high school, you think like, oh, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. And now they're brutally murdered and people are thinking you have something to do with it. Well, and at that age, you really can't process something like that happening. Yeah. I mean, at my age, I couldn't process something like that happening. But like back then, it's yeah, that's rough. The police had been told by Matt that Tori and Brian actually were at the house that weekend also. So on September 24th, that same day, later in the day, the police went to Tori's home to interview him. Tori had told the police that he and Brian stopped at the house for a party that didn't happen, so they immediately left to go to a movie theater. They said they went to see a scary movie and presented movie tickets. The movie tickets they had were for the movie Holes, featuring Shia LaBeouf. Super scary. So scary. It's a ter- It's like the most terrifying movie I've ever seen. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> But, I mean, really, when you think about it, their alibi, I mean, it makes sense. They had tickets. Yeah. Whether or not the tickets were valid. Mm -hmm. During the police interview, Tori wasn't able to identify, though, which movie they had actually seen, even though he handed over ticket stubs. He must not have looked at them or they were old. He couldn't tell you anything. The two maintained they returned to Tori's house at approximately 1130 p.m. and did not leave after that. However, witnesses and workers at the movie theater contradicted their statements by saying they knew the two boys from school and would have recognized them if they came in or not. Well, they're like movie fans, so they probably go to the movies all the time. That too. So. And since they were movie fans, it was very odd to the police that they couldn't name the actors, the theme of the movie, the plot, the title, anything. And they had only seen this movie like two days ago. That's kind of weird. Quote, quote, two days ago. Two days ago. (laughs) The next day, Brian was interviewed with his mom. Same thing, same fake story, same idiot not knowing how to create a fake lie. They were just being stupid. They asked him if he was sad that he had recently hung out with Cassie and now she's murdered. He was miserably sad. And he was so upset, he started crying, things like that. Big old crocodile tears. (laughs) The police thought Tori and Brian were the lead suspects. They were getting information from other friends or students. Police were talking about their movie script, their obsession with knives, their obsession with Columbine, how they would talk a lot about planning a murder, how they had conversations with Cassie about how she should be the star of the movie. Ultimately, they were like, let's get a search warrant. So they got a search warrant to the boy's house and found empty knife sheath in Brian's room. On September 26th, they did a second interview with Brian where they asked the same questions, this time really grilling in on the fact that they can't even remember their own story. The boys admit they had not been doing anything, but then later said, "Okay, we were doing illegal activities that night and we were scared of getting busted. We were actually breaking into cars around the area and stealing stuff. Why would out of all the things that you could be doing illegally, why would you say that? I would say I'm like painting. They're 16. What is say drinking? What is, what is a can paint? I'm can painting on a bridge. Graffiti. 
Yeah, spray can, spray paint. <laughs> like doing graffiti. Yeah, I would just said something like that. Yeah, or like, I guess drugs would have still been in their system, so. Yeah. Dummies. Yeah. Alcohol. Yeah. We were drinking alcohol underage. Yeah, because they're 16. However, the issue with this lie was the cops said there were zero calls for any burglaries in the area, so that was unbelievable also. On September 27th, they conducted a third interview. At this point, Brian entirely changed his story and started to turn on Tori. He admitted they had unlocked a door to return to the house to scare Matt and Cassie in the masks. However, he says it was just a prank. It's never it's a never prank. prank. <laughs> it's never a mannequin. It's never a prank. It's never an empty trash bag, people. Come on. <laughs> He said the knives were just to make things extra scary. Brian said Tori did all the stabbing because when they went upstairs, the prank went wrong and Tori went into a frenzy, but he had zero part in hurting Cassie. And the only reason he hadn't fessed up at this point was because Tori actually had threatened him into lying. Again, he started crying and just losing his shit. The cops said they believed him, but asked if he had any proof that could implicate Tori. The detectives just wanted to make sure they had more than enough evidence. At this point, Brian had taken the police and detectives to Black Rock Canyon to go find the bag that had been buried. One thing I forgot to mention, there was a list in the bag. It was a piece of paper. And on this paper, it had a list of how they were going to go about the event of murdering Cassie. And at one point on the list, it said, what if Matt's there? And they said, we kill him. Nice. They realized Matt was definitely in the clear then. It completely cleared Matt's name. Cassie's DNA was found on a ton of the items in the kill kit, as well as her blood. So they knew they sold sold it. Like, we're good. We got everything we need. Mm -hmm. The police asked Brian if he really did think it was a prank. And if Tori had maybe convinced him into stabbing Cassie because he was so blood hungry and addicted to scary movies that it made him into a monster. He was kind of trying to get on like a good side of Brian, like, oh, you're innocent, right? It was Tor it was Tori that did this, right? To try to get at least a confession here. Brian was too scared to reply, so he just started nodding to any of the questions, and they were continuing to pretend to sympathize with Brian to get information to creating fake bonds. Then they asked him if he stabbed Cassie. This fucking dumbass. Well, I love that he's a dumbass, but a normal person would have been like, I'm so sorry. You're right. I stabbed her once and that was it. But he was like, oh, they already probably know the answer to this. So I should answer honestly. So he's like, yes, I stabbed her four times in the leg and chest. And they were like, oh, my God. Cha -ching. <laughs> he said Tori continued to tell him to stab her until it was enough to kill her. The police asked how many times in total they stabbed her. And at this point, he asked for his parents at this point. Not before. All the other ones he had his parents there the whole time. So that's kind of, he's a mess. On October 26th, they were both arrested. On Thursday the 28th, they were charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy to complete first-degree murder. Investigators could not determine the two boys' motive for murdering Cassie other than their love for horror films and wanting to be in one. The prosecution reminded the court of the video conversation leading up to the murder Due to all the planning, leaving the door unlocked, the recordings, everything else. 
They determined this is clearly predetermined. There was also DNA evidence under the nails that had matched Ryan, even though he claimed he had not helped at all. A psychological evaluation, I just realized that meant she fought back. Not necessarily. She could have, like, I mean, when you stab someone, they're going to fall. Like, they're going to fall to the floor. Okay, so maybe she, like, grabbed him. Yeah. That's still so sad. Yeah. A psychological evaluation indicated that the teens were of sound mind when they committed the crimes, meaning they could not go with an insanity deal. On April 17th, 2007, Brian Draper was found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Stoddart's grandfather, Paul Cineros, at the time said, one down, one more to go. Her mother, Anna, merely replied to the cameras, I'm just happy my baby's getting her justice. Oh. Tori Adamchik's trial began on May 31st, 2007. He was convicted of the same charges on June 8th, 2007. Both received life sentences in prison without the possibility of parole, plus 30 years to life for the conspiracy behind the brutal slang. Tori and Adam are still serving their sentences at the Idaho State Correctional Institution, and that is a scary-looking building. It looks like a max, like, state. Like penitentiary? Yes. Yeah, creepy. It's very scary. Tori's parents still believe he's innocent, and in the videos, they say since he didn't actually say he stabbed her, he didn't do anything. It was all Brian. Um, his mom wrote a book about it, and in interviews with his family, he his family like reminds him that it was Brian's fault. He's kind of like a shell of a human now if you watch interviews, and they don't let him really get a word in edgewise. Word in edgewise, sorry. <laughs> they claim he's innocent and they'll like talk over him and convince him that he's not guilty. Like, no, remember, like, Tori, it went this way. Like, yeah. You were doing this instead. Their attorneys filed an appeal with the U.S. Supreme Court, citing that there was a lack of information concerning the way that a minor's brain can develop. In 2016, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional. For a minor to receive a sentence of life without parole, no matter the crime they commit, including murder. In 2017, the Idaho Supreme Court ruled to uphold Tory's fixed 30-year conviction and both teen sentences. Brian and Tory are still at the Idaho State Correctional Institution. Tory tried to get his sentence changed in 2019, according to a news station. He had requested that his sentence be canceled and get a new one. The judge denied his request, and he is still there. As for Brian, he asked for a whole new trial back in 2011. According to the Idaho State Journal, he asked the state's Supreme Court justices to change or reduce his sentence. His public defender, Molly Husky, said that his sentence was unconstitutionally cruel because he was immature, had poor judgment, and wasn't fully developed at the time of the murder. His pleas for the new sentence were denied, and he is still imprisoned at the Institute as well. Ten years after the murder, her brother had told the Idaho State Journal, I miss having my sister right there, a grade above me. I felt like she always was, that I always was a step behind, just looking up to her. She truly was my role model. She was very smart, doing good, and had a lot going for her. Now... That's pretty much a summary of the whole case. There's some other things that originally in the first episode I had kind of threw out as facts to you just to end it on. 
I found one more since then, so we're going to add a new one at the end here. <laughs> so here's a few fast facts for you. The Contreras family has put their house up on the market every year since the incident. They've been unable to sell the property. Frank Contreras has told the Idaho State Journal, we just went out. We're willing to fulfill our obligation of paying for it, but we're at the point that we will take what we owe, 138000 We just want to walk. There's a stigma on this house. The murder had devastated the Pocatello community since it was a small town, and Cassie's family had filed a lawsuit against the school about not doing anything about the fact that they had openly had students talking about murdering other students in their school, but they ended up losing. Tori's computer was gone through, but they didn't have a warrant, so at the time they couldn't bring it into the court, and it wasn't until later that evidence shows what was on the computer. There was animal cruelty videos, Columbine videos, and child pornography. Nope. Don't like that. (laughs) After the incident, the aunt had went into a depression and ended up losing her job, and the 13-year-old cousin did try killing himself after finding Cassie Joe's body. Oh, I thought... Why did I think that person was a girl? I don't know. I heard you say that earlier, and I forgot to correct you. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I just like making you sound like a diddly damn fool. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Another podcast had taught me two things. On September 28th, 2004, a 25-year-old woman named Nori Jones was sexually assaulted and stabbed to death only 50 yards away from Tori's house, and he was a prime suspect. Really? And if I did the math, I think he was like nine or something then. He was young. Hmm. Don't no. like that either. Or maybe he was older, but he he was under 14, I think it said. I might be wrong. Someone else can do the math and correct me, what I'm sure. What was the year? 2004. He was 14. Okay. Because this was 2006, right? No. I lied. Okay. We can't do math. If you would like to, you can. We're just <laughs> bad at it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but that's why I think that potentially if that crime really was committed by Tori, why he's so calm after the crime's committed. He's done this before. It leads a whole new, like it shines a new light on the whole concept of why in the car, when you mentioned earlier how like his demeanor changes, this could be why that flash of I've done this before. There was also a fan fiction about Brian where he does get out of jail and he's a romantic guy who falls in love with a girl. (laughs) That one's just wild. I read a little bit of it. I'll be real. (laughs) It took a while to find, but I did read it. It was not very well written. (laughs) Overall, they claim they were trying to be infamous horror film type people. But overall, it was a nightmare for Cassie and her family. Also, that they could be a cool plot for a thriller film. but. They suck. I watched some really good things on the case. Your Worst Nightmare, Season 1, Episode 2, When the Lights Go Out, is available to buy on Amazon Prime. It was really good. It's also on Hulu with the premium subscription because it's part of the ID channel. It it was it was really good. Um, that was probably my favorite thing I watched regarding this. Now, I found this thing on the internet that I want to add to the end of this episode. I'm going to read it aloud for you guys. So I'm going to pull it up real quick. It's a video from eight. I was about to play it. It's a video from eight years ago from a website called Justice for Juveniles, AAA, which stands for the Advocates for Abandoned Adolescents. It is a two and a half minute video called Tori Adam Chick. I'm going to I'm going to try to summarize and kind of read this aloud, but it's very long. So Tori Michael Adamchick was convicted of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit first degree murder 
despite any physical evidence linking him to the crime. This is Tori's story. Tori had turned 16, was looking forward to his junior year in high school. He was fun-loving, caring, and creative, who got along well with others. He never had a history of violence or a criminal record. He was well-liked by his teachers and classmates. He loved movies and dreamed of going to film school. Tori had met Brian Lee Draper at a class in school. Brian also liked movies. He and Tori were going to write a movie script together, but they never got far because six weeks into the friendship, Brian began filming a videotape depicting the two teenagers being killers. Tori participated thinking it was just an act, but it was not. On September 22nd, 2006, Brian murdered their friend and classmate Cassie Joe Stoddard, which five days later, Tori and Brian were both arrested and charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy, even though Tori was innocent. Tori adamantly will deny that he did not kill Cassie or have any knowledge that Brian was going to do so. It is Brian that has confessed. It is Brian that had done wrong. The DNA and evidence could probably support Tori's story. Both boys are found guilty of both charges, but you need to get the facts. Unlike Tori, Brian did have a history of violence and depression. He had been planning to kill for at least two years, we are sure. You should contact Tori's parents for information on how to help Tori in his case because he should be tried as an adult and be broken free of the bonds. He is an innocent man living an unfair life at this point. Okay, but how do you explain that he said, I'm I'm horny horny just thinking thinking about about it? it. Like, what? (laughs) The video itself also has like little subtitles at parts and stuff, and it just keeps being like, Tori's innocent. Love, Tori. Tori needs freed and it like shows pictures and stuff and then it'll show pictures of like Cassie and stuff. It's fucked, bro. And I found it by accident and I was enraged when I found it so I needed to tell you about it. Bina was so pissed off when she found this video. It was like, oh my goodness. Well, you had found the video of like Cassie's um, I don't know, it was like a memorial type. Oh my you god. remember that? So you found that one I and found then her, you found it was the funeral the video. One. Yeah. Her her dad made a funeral video. I'm like getting sad thinking about it again. It was this video her dad made for her funeral of all of her memories and things like that and like her growing up and oh my god, she was so beautiful and she looked so happy and so sweet and I had just got done watching that and I was like crying and <laughs> then I was like, "I'll watch one more video." And then I was like, "The fuck?" like what they think he's innocent no yeah i may or may not have gotten a little upsetty spaghetti (laughs) upsetty spaghetti so this is our reverbed revised redone renewed cassie joe for you we're really sorry about the og drop let's all be real it uh was not our finest hour nope So you got this, and hopefully you'll like it. Maybe you don't, but we hope you do. So we just wanted to give you guys some goodbyes. We're really glad you guys have been listening. We've loved all the feedback we've gotten so far. Everything's been great. You can always catch us on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review there also. If you leave a review, you can get a shout out in a future episode. So also mind if those are nice or not nice. How are episode will go (laughs) don't forget to follow the instagram cryptic soup pod where our dms are always open always 
And just remember to subscribe, follow, and tune in to keep up with us. Stay tuned. Bye.